0: Thank you for leading us in worship, and thank you for those that serve with him and, and leading us with worship. I am so glad that you're here this morning. I was wondering if some of you were going to start off a little who when you came in, but uh, maybe you all forgot from one week to the other. So I, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I hope you have a Bible with you that you can turn on or open up, and I want you to invite you to join with me in 2 Peter chapter One, Second Peter chapter 1, and also when you came in, hopefully you got one of these bulletins. On the back of that, there'll be some notes if you want to reference those as we work together through God's Word this morning. So 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to pick up where we off, left off last week. We're going to start in verse 3 and, and hopefully work our way down through verse 11. depends on how fast you listen, but hopefully get down to verse 11 before 1 o'clock, and we're just going to study through God's Word Together Now, I don't know about you, but today I'm excited. And you may say, why are you excited? Well, one, I'm excited because I get to come to church. But the next reason I'm excited is because today's the first day of spring. Now, for those that aren't excited about that, that's because you work inside. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, those that aren't excited, that's because you got you an inside job, one of those desk jobs. And I'm glad for you. I should have studied harder in school. I know. But it's one of those things that you all work inside. But for those... For those that got caught short last Thursday, some of you are like, what happened last Thursday? See, that's who I'm talking about. So those that weren't outside last Thursday morning or last Friday morning, especially Friday, Chad, it was not friendly outside. So you, when, you get, you, when, you, when you're out there and then all of a sudden spring is coming, you know there is Hope. So if you have nothing else to be excited about today, you're like, why well, is he up there? Why am I here? I got a lot going on. I understand. But at least you have something to be excited about. And that today is spring. Praise the Lord. And in thinking about this, a couple of weeks ago, we have at our house, we have a couple of shipping containers that we use as, as storage, catch all, little workshop, if you will. So a couple of weeks ago, we thought, <coughs> excuse me, we thought we need to do a little cleaning. So we go into the one, and we've got shelving built on either side of it. And so you go into it, and when we start digging through it. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you start finding things. So Jaylene and I had this idea, this concept, that we're going to be super gardeners someday. And so in preparation for that, every time, with five kids, you can imagine, we don't buy the little bitty eatsby green bean cans. I mean, we're buying the the industrial-sized cans of vegetables. And so when you empty one of those metal cans, what do you do? You can't throw it away. That's, that's against, in fact, it says on the label very clearly, do not throw away. So it, well, it doesn't say that. I just made that up. But it's one of those things that you save it because you think I'm going to use it for gardening. Or you get done. Uh, Folgers kind of went, uh, Godless call me on me, but they went to the plastic tubs, but you think I'm going to be able to use that for something. And so you save these things. So we got in the shipping container. We started looking. And I came across one little cache of empty cans, empty Folgers cans. Dig through a little bit more because you think, well, I've got to save those. And you get to something else. Janice is following me 100% right now. You get to something else and you follow. You find a second cache. And then you find a third cache. And then you find a fourth cache. And then you you find a fifth cache. And the next thing you know, Jaylene and I are looking at, and we probably have, I don't want to misquote, but we probably have 50 to 75 of these containers. And her and I look at each other like, what are we going to do with all of them? And then we both look at each other like, well, somebody's got to talk about throwing away. No, I'm not going to be. She's got to be the first one. I'm not going to be the first one. But it's one of those things, and, and, and you see it in life. You find something that you didn't know you had. Or when you get in there and you start doing some spree cleaning, you go into a room that you haven't been in for a while, you start realizing that you forgot what you had, or you become just so distracted with life that you forgot what you had, and next thing you need to find something, you're like, wow, I didn't remember that I had this. That's the context here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Because Peter is writing to an early church. We talked about this before. He's writing to them. They are what now is his modern-day Turk, and he's writing to them. It's mostly Gentiles, Christians, and they're trying to figure out what does this Christianity look like? What does it look like to be a believer in Jesus Christ? I'm facing all of these struggles and all of these hardships at home. What do I do about this? And Peter's writing to encourage them. He's writing to lift them up. He's writing to teach them. And what he's going to do this morning as we get into God's Word is he's going to remind them of what they have in Christ, what they have that every single one of them has, because I don't know, I'm not going to say for you, but for me, life has a way, the pace of life has a way of getting me so distracted, so focused on other things that I forget often what I have and who I am in God. You start reading the news, you start reading social media, you start reading all the reports of everybody else, you start listening to all of the ideas and the opinions of man, all the as Second Timothy 6 would talk about the irreverent babble of people, you start listening to all that and the next thing you know I'm so fixated on this world that I'm not fixated upon God. So as Peter is writing, he wants to encourage them, he wants to remind them of exactly what They have. So last week we talked about who we are in Christ. And he talks about that. Peter writes about that in the first two verses of this letter. And then we get down here to verse 3, down through verse 11. And Peter's going to talk about what they have. It's like going through a shipping container and finding things you'd forgotten about. It's like going through that closet and finding things that you had forgotten that were there. It's one of those things that in our Christian life, sometimes we need to be reminded of just exactly what we have. Have, Because this world has a way of grinding on us. This world has a way of wearing at us. This world has a way of discouraging us and bringing us down. And the next thing you know, you and I can easily lose sight of what we have in God. So here, are verses three down through eleven. I'm going to read it in its entirety for the sake of context. So, if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I will read aloud, we're going to read verses three down through verse eleven, and then we're going to back up. and I just want to point you to, for the sake of time, I just want to point you to some things that Peter is going to show us as the purpose for our salvation, and I'll get to that in a moment. So, first or second Peter, second Peter, chapter one, verse three. Listen to the word of the Lord. His divine power "...with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep her from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For an entrance, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. As Peter is writing to that early church and Peter is writing to them about what they have. He already talked about who they are. And as he talks about what they have, he's going to enumerate, if you will. He doesn't give it to us in this this fashion. But as I study through this and I look through this, I just want to give you just four simple principles, four simple promises, four simple purposes, if you will, of what Peter is writing about what we have. And the first one is Peter wants to remind them of what they have been Given. If you look back up there in verse three, he says his divine power has granted to us. He is saying that through the power of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been given something. In the Christian church today, we talk about salvation, that every single one of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord of our life, we repented of our sins, confessed Jesus, had faith in him, Pray to be forgiven of our sins. We have received the gift of salvation. But Peter takes it another step beyond that. And he wants to remind them as saved people, not just the picture of salvation, but what have they been given in their salvation? So he says there in verse 3, if you saw it in the text, through the knowledge of him. I want you to see with me this morning as Peter begins this letter and he continues this letter, he wants to remind the believer. He wants to remind the reader. He wants to remind you and I that we have received knowledge. Well, knowledge of what? Knowledge of who God is. Is. He, God reveals himself through his word. God reveals himself through his works. God re- reveals himself to us. And so Peter says, every single one of us, by the very fact that you have the word of God in front of you and you are hearing the word of God preach, you have received the truth and the knowledge of who God is. Once upon a time, they used to say knowledge is power and knowledge is being able to do things. And Peter wants to remind them that we have been given knowledge of who God is. Why? Why have we been given this knowledge? He tells us he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So Peter just doesn't stop and say, hey, you've received the knowledge of God. You've received the word of God. You've received that That's great. He says you've received it for a purpose. The purpose is to live godly lives. See, not every life is godly. Not every pursuit is godly. Not every desire is godly. Not every job is godly. Not every hobby is godly. Not every relationship is godly. Not every endeavor is godly. Not every person that says that they go to church is godly. Peter reminds them that you have been given this knowledge of God, you have been given the tools, you've been given the equipping, you've been given the resources and everything necessary to live godly lives. Now the pushback you get from some people is they will say, oh well you know, it's easier for you to live a godly life preacher because you're the preacher. Or they'll look at someone else in a different situation in life and say, well, they've got it easier. They don't have to work as much. They don't have as many kids. They don't have as many problems. They don't have the same hindrances and the struggles and the obstacles in life. It's easy for them. Except when you look there in 2 Peter, Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he says he is granted to us. Now, he is not defining who he's talking to. He says he's granted to us, all of us, all things. Now, I would love for you to circle that, underline that, highlight that, put a star by that, because it reminds us that there is nothing for those who are saved that are in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that we still need to live faithful, obedient lives to God that God has not already given us. He's given us everything we need. He has given us all things. And why? So that we can model a divine difference. If you look there in verse 4, he, is, he says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He is saying, the reason why God has given us knowledge so that we can live godly lives, so that people see a divine difference in us. They look at our lives and say, I can see God in him because what he or she is doing. I can see what God has done with them because of who they are. We moved to Hilton, Oklahoma. There in the big metropolis of Hilton, there was a Hilton family center. There have been some country songs wrote about this, but you walk into this place, and it's not a hardware store, it's not a lumber yard. It's like a little spot of heaven. So you walk into this place, and on your immediate right, there's a radio shack. Then you go past the radio shack, there's appliances. Past the appliances is fabric and sewing. Past the fabric and the sewing, there's some kids' games, and there's some house, some, some stuff for the ladies would use with fabric and, and other things. Past that, there's the paint section. You get past that, there's the, the tools and the, the power tools, and, the, and they would have the, the, the welding section, and then you would have the hand tool section, and then you move further on, and you would get to the gardening section, and they would have parts for chainsaws and lawnmowers and, and, and water hoses. They had all the things that you can imagine in a gardening section. Then you would move beyond that and they had a plumbing section. Little Johns, big Johns, all the kinds of Johns you can imagine. And then from that, you would go to the hardware section. Every bolt, every screw, every fastener, every handle, everything was right there. You continue on, they had a whole electrical section. Every wire nut, every size of wire, every type of wire was there. And then you be, move beyond that, there were the home goods, the light bulbs, the mops, the brooms, the things like that. You move beyond that, and then there were the, the workwear. You, they sold work boots, and they sold work clothes, and they even sold insulated overalls and hats and all that kind of stuff. And you move on from there, they had the sporting goods section, and they had ammunition, and they had fishing poles, and they had all the things you can imagine to go out and catch something to eat, to go out to be something, to spend a day outside, and to be on that, they had... The RV section. So if you needed something for your camper, you needed something for your tent, you needed something for going outdoors. It was all there. And I remember walking into the place and going, I've got everything. I don't have to drive 25 miles to Ardmore because everything is right here. They had all the things I needed. You go outside and adjacent to that, there's a drive through lumber yard. Then they had another building over there and they had your trim, your doors, your windows. They, sold, they, they, they rented pieces of equipment like, uh, like sewage snakes and like trenchers and dollies and all that stuff. It was like when you pulled in the parking lot, everything that you needed for your home or to, ma- more, or to maintain your home, it was all there. And when you and I come to the word of God, We don't need to look to another dynamic speaker to tell us how to live godly. We don't need to look to a different church to tell us what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We don't need a special book. We don't need a special author. We have all things in Christ. He says, remember, you have been given all things, verse 3, to live a godly life and to model a divine difference. It doesn't matter what your name is this morning. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, you have all things that you need to live a godly life. He tells us that's the purpose. The purpose is for us to live a godly life. And and we need to remember what we have been given. You haven't received a half portion, a quarter portion, a third portion. You're not a a second class Christian versus somebody being a first class Christian. Everybody has received the same gift of Jesus Christ. So it's not just what we've been given, but more so than that, what do we do with it? See, Peter knows he's writing to these Christians, and he wants to remind them, hey, the the Jews don't have more than you do. The the ones that have been Christians for a long time don't have more than you do. Just because they're down in what is considered modern-day Israel doesn't mean they have more than you do. He wants to remind them that they all have the same gift in Jesus. The question is, is what do we do with it? That's what separates those that live out their faith between those that talk about their faith. It's those that know that they've been given a gift to use it for the glory of God. So he says there, he goes on there and he says in verse five and verse six, he tells us what we're supposed to do with it. He says, for this very reason, what make every effort to supplement your faith. With virtue, virtue with knowledge. And he goes on, he lists eight different qualities. He wants to remind them that this is what you do with your faith. You use your faith. You use these things that Christ has given you for what? For the purpose of the glory of Jesus Christ. But notice up there in verse five, he uses a word. He uses the word supplement. Now, if you go back and you look at what the word supplement means, just look in his common English dictionary. Supplement means is you adding to something that is already complete. It's the idea that there is something that is already there, something that doesn't need anything, but you're just adding to it, whether for your benefit or for someone else's benefit, but left alone, it would still be enough. So he wants to use the word that you're gonna supplement your faith, not because your faith is lacking, not because God gave you and what he gave you was not enough, but because God says that I want you to couple the gift that I've given to you with your action and with your practice. Sometimes in our Christian world today, we try to supplant Instead of supplement. You may say, what do you mean, Spence? We supplant the things of God with the things of this world. My contentment in God, I will supplant with more material possessions. My knowledge of God, I will supplant with my knowledge of current events. I supplant the things that this world says are important for the things that Christ calls me to pursue. And so many times we start supplanting a job or a money or a relationship. We supplant the priorities, the trinkets, the carrots on the stick that this world brings. We supplant the things of this world for the things of God. And so Peter wants to remind them to supplement. He gives them these eight Virtues, he reminds them of what they are to do. You may say, Well, what is the purpose of the eight virtues? I'm not going to take the time to go through them individually, but when you think of them in a collectively, I put this there in your notes. What it does is we enlarge our faith through knowledge. We enlarge our faith through knowledge. Now, every single one of us has been given all things, but as we grow in our knowledge of God, we grow in our faith of God. I heard a preacher say the other day, he put it like this We trust what we know. And then they put it in the negative. We don't trust what we don't know. The point of this preacher is he was reminding us that we have so many people today that aren't following after God because they don't know God. They're more willing to trust a TV personality on a news show because they know them more than they are willing to trust God. Sometimes you have people, they don't trust the Bible because they don't know the Bible. Ezra will climb up on my work truck. And he'll look at me and I'll stand back a little ways. We've done this with all the boys. It's just a the thing they go through. He'll be standing right there and I'll say, jump to me. And he looks at me like, I mm, mm, need a second opinion. Why? Because he doesn't know if I'll catch him or not. He's never jumped before. Now, if I was to tell Luke to get up there, <laughs> Luke's getting a, big, a little bit bigger. It'd take a little bit more to hump him down. But it's one of those things that he knows because he's jumped before. Because we've gone through this before. He understands, daddy's going to catch me. We trust what we know. Peter tells them that God has given you this faith and God has given you this opportunity to practice your faith, to exercise your faith, and God has given you the opportunity to enlarge your faith through knowledge. And not just that, but he also wants to remind them that we strengthen our faith through practice. Not only do we enlarge our faith through knowledge, but we strengthen our faith through practice. It's one of those things that as you and I supplement, as we practice, what does he say? Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. He says as you do these things, not only does your knowledge of who God is, how God works, what God is. Your knowledge grows, so your faith grows. But then as you put these things into practice, you have more confidence that God will do what God is going to do. So he tells them, what do you do with it? God has given you his word. God has given you his spirit. God has given you salvation. God has given you these things. What are you going to do with it? We've been clearing brush, and the wintertime is whenever I'd like to clear brush. And so you go out there, and you got some options if you're going to clear brush. you got the bow saw. Boo. <clears throat> you get a reciprocating saw, known as a sawzall, and that has a, a limited effect. Or you can go up, and you can get the chain saw. You get that chainsaw, and you get it all fixed up. You get it all primed up. You get this thing started, and your world changes. If you had any time on a bow saw, if you have any time on just a regular hand saw or reciprocating saw, you get that chainsaw, and it changes everything. But you got to be careful what you do with that chainsaw. Imagine if I just took that chainsaw. I didn't start it up. I brought it up to the the tree, and I just kind of moved it back and forth like that. That's not what it's designed to do. Or, 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 or let's say that I, I took that chainsaw, I took the chain off the bar and I started it up and I took that bar without a chain and I put it on there and I revved it up and I put it on the tree. It's not doing what it was designed to do. Or let's say, that I took that chainsaw and I took that chain and I put it on the bar but I didn't put any bar oil in it and I take it up there and I put it on there and that thing goes to cutting but pretty soon it gets hot the chain gets dull and it stops working because I did not use it the way it was intended to be used or you imagine if I took it and I turned it around and I put the motor on the tree and I held onto the bar and I rev this thing up it's not going to work the way it's intended to work. In other words, what Peter wants to remind them is, is God has given us things, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so that we might use them, that we might do with what God wants us to do to achieve what God wants to achieve through us. Sometimes we use the world's ways and wonder why we get the world's results. Sometimes we use the idolatry of this age and we wonder why we end up with ungodly results. He tells them not just what we've been given, but what we do with it. And then he goes on there in this passage, he goes on there and I got to speed up for the sake of time, but he goes on <clears throat> and he talks about why do you have it? So he tells them, he reminds them of what they have, their salvation, their gift in God. He says, this is what you do with it. You enlarge it, you practice it, you, de- you, you develop it. But then he says, why do we have it? Yeah, I'm back here in verse eight of the text. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Peter reminds them and wants them to understand that this knowledge of God, these these tools that he's given them, they have a purpose. Why do we have it? We have it for our benefit. We have it so that we might use them to increase it. In fact, that's what he says there in the text. If you look there in verse 8, he says, for if these qualities are yours and are in." He's talking about these all things that you've been given. And he says, if they are yours and they are increasing, what do they do? They lead to effectiveness and fruitfulness, growth, health. Let me try to put it this way. Life and health produce growth. And if you do not have growth, you need to check whether you have life. Peter tells them that the reason why God has given them these resources and these tools is so that they might increase in their wall. They might become more effective every day. They might increase in their fruitfulness and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is saying the reason why this is so you can continue to grow as a Christian. We have too many people in the church today that may have been in the church for 60 years, but they are still like they've never grown in their Christian faith, in their Christian wall. We have immature people in the church playing Christian. And yet you'll have people in the church that today, so I'm healthy, I'm growing. Well, let me see your fruit. Well, they are being judgmental. It's not your place to tell me. How can you, how dare you make, make me feel like I have to fit your mold? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that healthy people produce people. A healthy apple tree produces Apples. A healthy wheat plant produces more wheat seeds. Health produces health. Life and health lead to growth. He reminds them that why we have this, why we have all these things, is so that we might increase in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We might continue to be effective and fruitful in our walk before God to sustain us, to remind us, to power us spiritually. And then he gives us the negative part of it. He said, for it relaxes qualities as though near are that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So he's saying that the sum of you and the positive, you use these things to glorify God and grow in your faith. The other side of you do not use these things and you wonder why you're sick. There's a terminology that you'll hear in this world today. And they talk about burnout. One of the things that Peter is going to address here is when I read it is he's saying that he this idea of why we have what we have is to keep us from burning out. Let me just ask you something this morning. Our society has accepted this idea of burnout and the idea of burnout just means when you've done something for so long that you just get so tired and exhausted that you just don't have any excitement and zeal for it anymore. I feel like I can trust you all. And you all don't agree, that's fine. I think spiritually, that's not true. I don't understand where we get spiritually speaking that there is such thing as a Christian burnout. And before you just write me off as a quack or somebody that doesn't know what he's talking about, let me just explain to you something. Let me just explain to you my rationale, maybe. You take a battery. You put a battery in a charger, the battery gets a certain amount of charge in it. You take the battery from the charger, you put it in the device in which it's designed, and it drains the the charge from that device. So that is how the battery is supposed to work. You plug it into the source of power, it receives the charge, the energy, then you use it at, and you use it until it is not there. But what happens if you leave that battery plugged into the charger indefinitely? The thing never loses its charge. So if as Christians, if we are plugged in the way we should to the spirit of God and the things of God, if we are plugged in the way that we should, and if we were connected to God the way that we should, why do we spiritually run out of our charge? You see, I don't think it's a matter of us not, I don't think it's a matter of people that burn out spiritually, I think it's a matter of people that unplug spiritually the things of God and then they just simply deplete their spiritual charge. Well, how do you solve that, Spence? How do you guard against that, Spence? You guard against that by staying plugged into the word of God, staying plugged into the family of God, staying plugged into the things of God. You want to know why we have so many people in the church today that are struggling in their spiritual walk? Because they unplug themselves from the spiritual things of God. You may say, well, what happens if you're plugged in and you still get dry? Well, that means the source then is faulty and you're gonna try to tell me that God can't supply all things that pertain to life and godliness if the word of God tells us that he's gonna supply us all things that pertain to life and godliness, then what that means to me is when I start getting a little drained, when I start getting a little spiritually tired, when I start getting a little dry and if I start getting a little bit like I feel like I'm distracted and strained, that means that I have pulled myself away from the power source. Yet in our world today, we have a lot of people running around saying, well, I'm just burned out. I'm just burned out. And I wonder where you get this idea from. It's a cultural concept, but so many times the cultural concepts have come to the church. And because we've accepted in the culture, we begin to accept it in the church. And I want to challenge that this morning and to just say that when we have received all things for life and godliness, he doesn't give us a time frame. He doesn't give us a a certain amount of endurance. In other words, I put this in my notes. The source of power determines the endurance of the power. The source of power, and this isn't in your notes, this is what I have written down. The source of power determines the endurance of power. So when you're plugged into God, you're going to tell me that you're going to burn out spiritually because you're plugged into God? There's a Christian word called baloney. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that the Bible doesn't support that. Yet we have a lot of Christians today that would much rather rust out than burn out. So what do they do? Well, I don't want to burn out, so I just won't be involved. I just want to do this. And so you're more content to rust out than burn out. And and Peter wants to remind them that why do we have it? We have this gift of God to increase it, to sustain it, to mobilize it, and to move it forward. So you may say, well, I give too much time to the church, and I give too much service to the church, and I'm just at the church all the time. And? When you get to the point that you give the church more than Christ has given the church, then we'll talk. When you get people today that's like, well, you know, everybody's got to have time off and everybody's got to have a break. Yeah, maybe. But let's not rust out for fear of burning out. Let's not get so scared that we're willing to do anything. And then we find ourselves not doing something. So he tells them there in this passage, he wants to remind them that what they've been given, I bring you back to what we do with it. Then he talks about why we have it. But then this last part and we'll be done. He talks about then how we live it. He says, therefore, brothers, so he's bringing this to a conclusion. He's bringing this to a summary. He says, therefore, this is what you do. This is how you live it. Brothers, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, whoo, whoo Ooh, look what they're, are you seeing, are you seeing this or you just stared off in space? Four more words right there in the last part of verse 10. I don't know how your translation reads, but let me just tell you how my translation reads. It says, you will never fall. Now that's a pretty bold, giant, enormous statement. What is Peter saying? Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter, under the inspiration of God, says, if you confirm your calling election, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what does that mean for people that fall in their faith? When you mean fall in your faith, I mean they get backslidden. I mean they get. I mean they get. They get stubborn. They get rebellious. They they turn away from God. You have people that hey, everybody knows these stories of these people that were really involved in the church, heavily involved in the church, and then somewhere along the way they they be they they've gotten out of church. And so well, ten years ago you would they would have never missed a Sunday, and now they're barely able to make a Sunday once every three or four months. These people that have moved away, fallen in their faith and their walk before the Lord. He says he says not me. He if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's a bold statement. So Peter, you're saying that I will not fall in my walk before the Lord if I practice these qualities? Peter says, yes. So if you want to ensure that you don't fall, what do you do? You practice these qualities. And those that have fallen in their walk with the Lord, what does that mean? That means that they have stopped practicing these qualities. Well, isn't that judgmental? And aren't you being a little bit mean-spirited? No, I'm just telling you one plus one equals two. Two minus one equals one. This isn't, this isn't hard to imagine. It's just as simple what it means to be a Christian. That we live it. So what does that mean for us today, Spence? It means that we practice what we believe. If you believe that God has the power to save you, to sustain you, and to give you all things, then we practice what we believe. Too many times we believe what we practice, we practice what we believe, and you see it in the lifestyles of people. You prepare how you practice. You practice how you perform. And we have people today that'll come to church and look at me and go, oh, you know what I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. And then you go out and you have all these other gods in your life and you're going, you know what? I say this, but I'm not doing that. He says, you practice what you believe, not just what you practice, but what you do. You do what you say. He says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So if you find yourself this morning and you're struggling in your salvation or you're struggling in your walk, you're struggling in your faithfulness or obedience to God. You're struggling in just that level of intimacy, spiritual intimacy with God. And you say, well, Spence, what's the answer? Practice these qualities. Don't give the church more money. Don't come talk to me. Don't ask me. "Uh, Don't don't think that if I pray for you, that's going to fix it. That's the wrong religion. It's this idea that how do you get back to where God wants you to be you practice the qualities that God has given us. I would, you know how much easier it would be if I looked at you and said, well, you know, just everybody gives me $500, dollars you would be right with God. That would be an awesome solution for me. And quite honestly, that would be an awesome solution for you. Because it would be a whole lot easier for you to write me a check for $500 and say, well, that's it, that's all i got to do, and then you could walk out of here feeling like everything's good to go. It would not only benefit me, but it would benefit you. But the problem is, is the Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible says is, is you go, you go in your face before the Lord and you say, God, what is it that I need to do in my spirit and in my practice to live faithfully before you? And as God shows you, you and I do it. So he says, this is how you live. You live by practicing these qualities. And the reason why you practice these qualities is so that you will never fall. So we practice what we believe and we do what we say. In the last part of verse 11, and we'll tie this thing together. For in this way, there will be richly provided you entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter brings this back to the purpose for his beginning. Why does all of this matter? Because of our salvation in God. Why does all of this matter? Because one day we will stand before God. Why does all of this matter? Because one day this life will stop. So what we need to be doing on this side of eternity is living for the eternity to come. So he says, how do we live this? I put it in your notes. How do we live it? Well, we live for eternity. We recognize that what we're doing on this world is not trying to amass the, mo- the most toys. What we're doing on this world is not trying to have the biggest house or have the most money or have the nicest drug or to go to the most places. It's not to have the most friends on social media. It's not to have the most plaques on the wall, the most, the most letters after your name. The goal of this life is to prepare for the life to come. So he says, when you practice these qualities, when you live this kind of life, there will be richly provided to you an interest in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, there is heaven. He may say, well, why should I get so excited about that? Because, because it's not hell. And when your knowledge of God increases, you understand that because God is just and right, those that follow in their faith, those that trust in Jesus Christ and they've been forgiven of their sins, they have this righteousness imputed upon them and they are able to go to heaven. But also those that die in their sin that never respond and never turn in faith and repent and confess of their sins to Christ, they die in their sins. And the consequence, the punishment for that sins is hell. And he says because when you realize that both of these places are real and both of these places are eternal and every single person on the face of this this earth is going to one or the other place, then it makes a difference on how you live today. It makes a difference in what you do today. It makes a difference in your priorities. It makes a difference in what you have that you are pursuing. It makes a difference on your desires and your hobbies. It makes a difference in your life. But you understand that not just you, but everybody around you. Every single one of this one of us in this room is going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell. Every single one of your friends, every single one of your coworkers, every single one of your relatives, every single person that you know, have known, will know, ever, ever, ever will spend an eternity in one of those two places. So Peter says, Yeah, it kind of makes a difference in how you live today. It kind of makes a difference on how we live today. So then what's the good news, Spence? All right, so you've talked about all these things out of 2 Peter 1. Give us some good news. Give us something that we can walk out of here and say, ha, see, that wasn't so negative. Give us some good news. Well, here's the two things I have for you. The first one is this. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. Every single one of us. From Micah, who is one years old, to the oldest person, and I'm not going to say a name, to the oldest person in this room, everybody, God, has a purpose for you. How do I know that? Because God has granted his son to come live and die. And if you have traced your hope and your trust in his son, Jesus Christ, now you now have all things. God has given you all these things for a purpose. Why? Not so that you can get pleasure for yourself or glory for yourself or recognition for yourself, but for us to bring glory to God. He has a purpose for you, and not just a purpose for you, but God has a plan for you. You may say, what's the difference in a plan and a purpose? A purpose is, this is your reason for being here. A plan is now, here's what I want you to do with what you've been given. Not only does God have a purpose, but God has a plan for you. So when you wake up in the morning and you start thinking, well, I want to do this, this, and this today, you can walk out of here this morning, and I can be back there, and I'm going to say, what are you going to do? Well, I've got this plan, this plan, this plan, and this plan. The question is, is what does God plan for you? today. We have a lot of young people, and these young students will grow up, and they'll be told, well, you got to go to college. You got to do this, and you got to do this, and all these things. I wish, Mr. Prepare, I wish you would bring Mike Rowe in. Now, some of you may not know Mike Rowe. He's the guy that does the dirty jobs, but he does other things. He talks about he talks about the, some of the confusion around this idea that you are nothing unless you go to college. And he brings this idea about the trades. And he brings us this idea about there is other paths in lives that are just rewarding and just fulfilling that don't require going into debt in college. <laughs> and I wish they would show two sides to the coin because we have so many young people that grow up thinking my purpose in life is to go to college. My plan in life is go to college. But what if God says, instead of going to college, I want you to go to the mission field for a couple years. Instead of going to college, I want you to go and I want you to serve me in a, in a foreign context for a little while. What if God's calling and his plan and his purpose for you was not what you wanted, but what he wanted? Imagine what that would do for our lives, or even parents, 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 parents. Imagine if, instead of you and I thinking that our child or our son is going to be the next athletic superstar instead of us thinking that God can't provide for their education and growing up, so we have to chase all these things so we can get a $500 scholarship. Or maybe instead of us thinking about what we want for our children, maybe we should say, God, what do you want for our children? Maybe that would change how we prioritize our homes. Maybe that would change on what we invest our time in when we start saying, God, you have a purpose and a plan for the lives, God, what is your plan and purpose for the lives? Or maybe you're you're here this morning and you've never asked God what what his plan and purpose is for your life. Maybe this morning is a morning that you just need to say, God, you have a purpose and a plan for my life, what is it? Or maybe you're here this morning and You started off well. You felt like, hey, God had this plan and this purpose for my life. You're like, okay, this is going well. This was going well. And then all of a sudden you got distracted. You got diverted. I was on a drilling rig in a mud house reading my Bible on my phone in the middle of the night when God got a hold of me and said, I got something else for you than this. And I'm sitting down there in the middle of the night reading the Bible on my phone thinking, I don't want it. (laughs) I'm happy where I'm at. I've got what I want. And I remember God just speaking to my heart saying, I've got something else. So you may have gotten to the point in your life that you may say, well, I've got all this going for me. I'm right here. I'm doing all this. That's That's great. That's great. That's great. But maybe this morning you just need to say, God, what is your purpose and your plan for my life? Not that I have ulterior motives and not that I'm trying to leverage you or manipulate you to do something here. I just want you to leave here this morning knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and that you are on that path. You bow your heads with me.